You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. All right. Hello and welcome back. It's Robin here and I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Dr. Vanessa LaPointe. She is an author, a parenting expert, a registered psychologist who has been supporting families and children for more than 15 years. She's the author of Discipline Without Damage, How to Get Your Kids to Behave Without Messing Them Up, and Parenting Right from the Start, Laying a Healthy Foundation in the Baby and Toddler Years. She's a regularly invited media guest and contributor, educator and speaker, a Huffington Post blogger, and a a consult to research projects and various organizations promoting emotional health and development. Dr. Vanessa is known for bringing a sense of nurturing, understanding, and humanity to all of her work. She presently works in private practice and has previous experience in a variety of settings, including the British Columbia Ministry of Children and Family Development and the school system. Dr. Vanessa's passion is in walking alongside parents, teachers, and care providers, and other big people to really see the world through the child's eyes. She believes that if we can do this, we are beautifully positioned to grow up our children in the best possible way. As a mother of two growing children, Dr. Vanessa strives not only professionally, but also personally to view the world through the child's eyes. So thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I love it. I love it. And you, that is such a big, long list. You are just such a superstar. And I can't even tell you how honored I am to have you. And you and I actually have a special relationship. Um, This really is a full circle moment for me because I talk a lot about the darkness that I felt when I was in the midst of my struggles. And you were there during this time. And you were one of the most instrumental steps that we took to get to a new place. So I am humbled to have you here. And I just wanted to explain a little bit about where I was when I first met you. And, um, you know, we were in a place where we knew something was going on with our son, um, but we didn't know exactly what it was. So we started with you. We started with a psychiatric assessment, which you did for him. Um, and we wanted to see if he had ADHD or any learning disability was on the autism spectrum, that sort of thing. And I remember the very first time I met you. I don't know if you remember this, but this was, was me. I, I met you and I said, you know what, Dr. LaPointe, I'm scared of you. I am scared of what you're going to find out. I'm worried about labeling my child. I don't want it to be labeled because I don't believe that labels help our kids. And I'm also worried about having to face the fact that maybe he isn't normal. And I was worried that you would say there was something wrong with him. And I, and I knew in my heart that there was something that wasn't typical about him. And I told you I was scared. And I remember telling you that I had just learned about and started diving into this world of peaceful parenting or conscious parenting. And that because of this, I didn't believe in labels. And I, I, I remember your body language was really interesting. You were kind of excited to hear me say it. And I, I said to you, look, I have listened to and read some of Dr. Shafali's work. And I really, really believe in it, which is one of the reasons why I'm scared about what you're about 
you know, about this journey we're embarking on together. And you were getting more and more excited as I was talking. And I said, I believe in her work so much that I'm actually going to go to California to see her in person because I really believe this. And um, you were nodding sort of furiously at me and you said, okay, okay, listen, I get what you're saying and exactly what you're saying. Not only do I know Dr. Shafali, I'm going to see her too. So you and I were like the only two Canadians in this audience. And not only am I going to see her, but she's, she's endorsed my book that I just wrote. So I was like, oh my gosh, like that was such, a huge weight off my shoulders to talk to you that way and and to actually for the first time have somebody see me and understand me because I hadn't been and you were huge for that see I'm getting emotional about it because it meant so much in the darkness that I was in you were one of the first people I showed it to and this bubbly personality that I have on the outside I was in so much pain on the inside and um, I showed you my despair and my shame and my pain. And I want to thank you for supporting me through that. Clearly, I'm still an emotional person, but it meant a lot to me. And the other thing that you did for me, we had a talk one time and we're like, okay, we're not going to talk about our kids. We're not going to talk about my kid. I was in such a bad place. You took one look at me and, and I wasn't happy at work. I wasn't happy with the way life was. And you just said, okay, Robin, if you had a blank slate and you could be whatever you wanted to be, what would you want to be? And I put my head in my hands and I kind of whispered, I want to be a parent coach. And you were like, yes, that's perfect. That's exactly what you should be. And for me, that was such a huge validation that somebody like you would say, yes, even with all my pain and shame and my darkness, you were like, yes, that's perfect. So thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. I see your mama heart. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Robin. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm still like, um, every time I think of you, I think of you often because you've meant so much to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Let's start off by talking about your book. Yeah. Parenting right from the start. I love it. I just absolutely love it. And I've had a chance to read this book. And what struck me is how you provide parents with a day one handbook to help them navigate the journey of parenthood. I don't think a book like this exists and you've created it. So thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. This is what moms need to be given right when they give birth. Here you go and take this book because you're going to need it. Um, <laughs> what I really like is that you're setting parents on a path fueled by the science of child development and the best that psychology has to offer, as well as weaving in your own experiences as a mom. So my first question to you is, in your book, you talk about growing yourself and then growing your child. What does growing yourself entail? Why is it so important that parents work on their own emotional develop, development as they embark on their own parenting journey? Why is it so important? Well, the thing is that you will parent as you were parented, and you can only bring someone as far as you have brought yourself. And by and large, most of us, although we're walking around in adult bodies, we're really just uh, children in the form of adults. And the reality is that when you are a child, the environment that you exist in forms your mind, particularly in the first six, seven-ish years of life. And then you grow up and you become a parent 
whose mind was formed for them in their childhood. And that mind now forms your environment. So the environment formed your mind and now your mind is forming your environment. And into that environment, you have now delivered another little soul in the form of a human being. And so that little soul's mind is now being formed by the environment that your mind is creating for your child. And so if we really wanna give our kids the best possible start in life, what we need to do is ensure that the environment they're being marinated in is going to translate into optimal um, conditions for them to be everything they were meant to be. So grow you in order to grow them. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we don't realize as we are embarking on the journey of parenthood is that we're going to bring our own stuff into it. And our children are so generous in giving us, <laughs> giving us opportunities to feel the way we felt when we were kids, right? And we operate from the place we were hurt the most, which is normally in childhood for most of us. And I recognize that a lot of my pain and my frustration was my five-year-old self yelling at my kids to listen to me when it was really me yelling at my dad saying, dad, like, I just want to be heard, right? And so I totally get what you're saying because it wasn't until I healed myself that I was able to show up differently for my kids. And in fact, that's the very first thing I do with the people that I work with is talk about the way they were parented because that is where you can go back and say, okay, it looks like you were hurt there. And, and look at how you can relate that to the experiences with your child, right? So I yes. really love that. Yeah. The thing is, when you were a little person, an infant and a baby, toddler, preschooler, um, you were, uh, for the first time, experiencing the intimacy of relationship in the form of the parent-child relationship. And then you grow up and become a parent. And unbeknownst to you, you've re-entered the space, the intimate space of the parent-child relationship, but this time as the parent. Yeah. And Curiously, the way that the mind works consciously and subconsciously is that every single time um, you feel anger, you feel despair, you feel overwhelmed, you feel all of those kinds of things. It's because you've been triggered by the existence of being in the parent-child relationship. You've been triggered backwards in time in an age regression kind of manner to what you felt as a child. And there's nothing like nothing in the history of forever or for all the future that will bring you to your knees, like becoming a parent. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it sister. Yeah. I mean, it is so true. Like I was winning before I had kids. I was great. I was the best parent ever too before I right. Yeah. But I totally agree. And, and really what happens is, is you're operating from that place where you were hurt and you're yelling at the wrong person because your kids right. are only ever just being kids. And that's right. Your interpretation of the situation that brings out your anger. Because if you're really addressing what's going on with your kids, you wouldn't be so angry because it's not about you. It's about them. Right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, I have another question for you here. A lot of parents that I work with have kids with really big emotions and difficult behaviors, right? And I, I experience that too with my own family. I have a child that isn't typical. And you mentioned something that you incidentally taught me too. You mentioned that parents should 
approach parenting with swagger. I want you to explain why it's important for parents to exude confidence while guiding their child. Mm -hmm. And so in my book, I talk about this analogy of what if you were um, climbing Mount Everest. And this is an unknown journey to you. And so you've never done it before. You're a little uncertain how that's all meant to go. And so you hire yourself a guide, uh, partly so that you have somebody who's sort of leading you through, but also because you want to get out of here alive, right? <laughs> and so you hire this guide and you set off on this expedition and things are going along kind of okay at the beginning. Uh, but as you get going and everybody's getting tired and supplies are getting um, thin on the ground and all of those kinds of things are happening, you notice that your guide's become a little tired and is starting to show signs of overwhelm. And so you ask your guide a question, something kind of normal, and they turn around and get really snippy or snappy at you. Or, um, or the guide uh, just seems to have run out of energy. Or the guide is now turning around and saying to you, what do you think? Do you think we should press on a little further today? Or like, do you think it's safe out there? And you begin to think to yourself like, oh no, we're not getting out of here alive. This person has no idea what they're doing, right? And I often say to parents when I'm presenting um, at workshops, if I had walked out on the stage and like hung my head down and not made any eye contact and just like read all the slides off the screen, you'd be like, who hired her? Yeah. Right? And even if it was my first time through those slides, and even if I was unfamiliar with the workshop material, I'm not going to tell you. Like, I'm going to walk out there, and I'm going to throw my shoulders back, and I'm going to find all y'all's eyeballs, and I'm going to um, grab it like it's hot and talk a circle around everybody so that you will leave feeling like you got something of what you showed up for. That's what it is to have swagger. And swagger is an energy. Swagger is not something that you do. Swagger is something that you be. And the doing of swagger flows from the energy of your being. You be in charge. You step in and you step up and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, dark, down into the deepest, darkest crevices of your soul, that you're your kid's best bet. Ain't nobody else. For you. Yeah. 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 Can you give us some examples of what swagger looks like while you're parenting? Yeah. So swagger is that you know you're in the lead and that you trust yourself to be in the lead of all of these things. So swagger might be something like, I'll tell you a story. So a couple, mm, three years ago, perhaps on um, around between Christmas and New Year's, uh, I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, and there was an earthquake. And I just want to tell you, I'm from the prairies of Canada, where we don't do earthquakes and we don't believe in earthquakes. And so I'm like, I am not down with the whole earthquake situation, right? And it's about 11 o'clock at night and the kids have just gone off to bed. We'd been out at a dinner that evening and I just crawled into my bed and the house starts to shake like loudly. Things are falling off the wall. I think there's been an explosion in the basement. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then I realized really quickly, oh wow, this is an earthquake. We're all gonna die, right? And I do all of the things that you're not supposed to do. I start flying around the house like a maniac because I'm going in search of my children who also are doing what they're not supposed to be doing. We've all come out of our bedrooms and we're colliding in the upstairs landing. And then I realized, okay, Dr. Vanessa, you need to pull yourself together because my children's faces were full of terror. They had realized too what was happening. And so I said, okay, everybody, this is an earthquake. 
And uh, we're just going to stay put for a second. I could feel that it was that already, it was a very small, so it's like in the grand scheme of earthquakes, it was like this. Um, still, I was like lifting the house the next day. That's it. <laughs> That was the earthquake I never noticed, right? Is that the one? (laughs) That's the one. That's the very one. That's right. So I say we're, this is what's going to happen. And, and then it's over and they right away start asking questions. How do we know it's going to happen? If it's going to happen again, how do we know it's not the big one? All of these kinds of things. And I'm saying to them, listen, we have a plan. (laughs) I'm saying, listen, we've got a plan. Mom and dad, we know what to do if there's a big earthquake. Um, and were it to happen while you were at school, you'll remember you practice earthquake drills at school all the time. So your teachers have a plan and everybody there is going to know what to do. The mayor of our city has a plan. All the firefighters and police officers have plans. Our neighbor has a plan. All the grown-ups have got this. We know exactly how to handle it if it goes down. Hmm. Oh, Okay. And off they go to bed. And I realize in that moment, I, like I'm there as a mom because I, I can feel what it is that my children need. I did promptly go back to bed, hop on Amazon and spend $450 on earthquake supplies. Yep. Because, you know, as you do. Um, yep. That's what it is to have swagger, to step in on behalf of your children. Another great example of that, if you remember the film Life is Beautiful mm-hmm. and the dad who's in the concentration camp with his little boy and he knows that his little boy cannot um, be led to fully understand what it is that's happening because he'll not recover from that. And so what does that dad do so masterfully? He creates a reality for his child from this place of swagger that has his child believing that concentration camp is like Disneyland. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You, so you taught me this and it was very helpful with, with a child that complains a lot that I have, you know, has, um, a lot of, wants to argue a lot. You said to me, okay, well just anticipate what he's going to say and say, even if you don't know what he's going to say. And it was so cute when, when, when Corey and I, my husband, where we were, we were doing this together, we would, we would do our swagger bit and then like go in the hallway and high five each other because we're like, we nailed that. Right. So my, my, my son would say, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that. I say, I knew you were going to say that, which is why. I did it for you. Or I knew you were going to say that, which is why I don't need you to do it now. I'm going to get you to do it after that show that you're watching or whatever it is, right? It was all anticipating their need and being like, oh yeah, I got this. I got Mm -hmm. this. No, we can work this out. I know. I know. I knew you were going to be like that. I knew you were going to say that, right? And when you're parenting a child who's got big needs, let's say, there will often be things like that, that will have actually led them to attempt at least to be in the lead of you. And when you are a swaggerful parent, the key is that you're in the lead of the child. And you can't grow a child up who's in the lead of you. And so you have to reclaim your place so that your child just gets to sort of lean into you and rest into your care. And it's a really, really tricky dynamic to get turned around, but with a lot of sort of clever, artful, um, approaches, you can step back into the lead. It's like you become omnipotent. I knew you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and also when your child is is led by their anxiety or their fears, you say, you know, okay, you're, you're worried that the door isn't locked and you need to go and check it five times. Instead of going with them and letting them draw you along to check it, 
you say, no, I'm going to take you to show you it's locked. Cause I already knew that that was a, that you were worried about that. And now I've, I've got this for you and I'm going to show you that I've got this. That's right? right. Such a great, such a great thing. And I think it's, it's, it's so easy and, um, and, and so effective. So thank you for that. That, that is such a great, that it's is such a and effective. And interestingly, I think it runs contrary to sort of mainstream couple, pop culture parenting, where we think, listen, you're worried about the door being locked and that's ridiculous. And I'm not going to let you check it because you just need to understand that you don't need to be worried about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas, um, because we think that if we give in to that, we're going to kind of molly coddle them or they're going to carry on believing all of those things. And yet when we can wrap our head around the idea that when we offer, offer our children the gift of deep dependence, that's where their true independence emerges out from. So be full of swagger. Okay. Can you say that again? That is really huge. So by them being dependent creates their true independence. Can you say that again? Yeah. So it's out of the gift of deep dependence emerges true independence. If you force your children into the mimicry or the facade of independence true or too early in life, which is what um, we tend to focus on as parents, um, if you do that too early in life, what happens is they're always going to be hungry for it. They're always going to be hungry for the connection, the dependence, this sort of rest of being able to lean in. So when they rest, into the care that you're providing, into the environment that you've created, then they're resourced. And from that place of being resourced, they have the energy to go and to grow and to become Mm -hmm. a truly mature version of themselves. Whereas if we keep them hungry, if we say, "Mm -mm, big boys don't do that. Big girls don't need their mama to carry their backpack. We, we have all of these things that we say to them that try to sort of push them behaviorally into this facade of independence. And when your children have to carry that around, um, what it does is it causes them to be perpetually immature. Okay. Okay. And creates anxiety, uh, also would make them think, well, they're not good enough maybe because we push them too early too, Right. Right. And it has them often feeling shame because the the reason that they have the need for whatever it was to be carried, to have some extra help, to to have you spend a little more time with them at bedtime, in the morning, whatever it is, the reason that they have the need is because they're human. And then we make them wrong for it. And so they experience shame at the hands of us to whom they are supposed to be most attached and who are meant to love them beyond condition. Yeah. And in parents' defense, they just don't know. They don't know that that's not okay. They think that, okay, I, like how soon till I get my kid who's three to start doing chores? I mean, I hear that kind of stuff all the time. And it just creates so much conflict and disconnection because they're not ready for it. But parents parents often I find parent out of a real sense of fear like if I don't get this right now my kid will never be able to carry his own backpack or her own backpack or never be able to do his shoes well let's like stop for a second and think about that that's just not true it's not ever going to be the case 
Yeah, that that's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy talk. And if you think about the human brain in the first year of life or so, we used to think that it was forming around 700 new neural connections per second. And what we've learned in the last couple of years is that that number is actually closer to about a million new neural connections per second. And those neural connections are being driven by the environment that your children are growing in. And so if you approach parenting from a fear-based kind of place and space, then literally getting like absorbed up and into the neural architecture of your kid's brain is going to be this fear-based perspective on life. But instead, if we were to approach from a love-based kind of place and space, then that's what's going to direct the neural architecture of the brain. And I'll tell you what, you want to know who you want to be the next prime minister of this country? You want it to be a kid whose brain got soaked in a love-based existence. Yep. Uh, wow. Yes. Yes. We want them leading our countries. We want them leading our classrooms. We want them in our homes. We want to grow those kind of humans. In fact, if all of us in the land could parent from a love-based place for just one generation, oh. we would change the world. Dr. Vanessa, that is exactly what I'm here to do as well. I mean, I feel that so strongly and I don't say it all the time, but I do feel that this is the most important job we have ever, period. And that if we can do it in a way that honors our child for who they are, that accepts them, that we can, we can understand their development and their growth, that we grow children who thrive in this world, but children who are also emotionally intelligent, who can understand their emotions, the emotions of others, who know in their heart of hearts that they're worthy and they're valued and valuable and lovable. Those what are, that? that is the generation we want. That's what we yes. want for our kids, right? And for your grandbabies and for your great grandbabies and for all the generations to come. When we change it within ourselves, we change it for our children and we literally change our entire family system. Absolutely. And I think we have to give credit to the parents that are listening now because never before in history have parents been saying, hey, look, we need something different. The way I was parented doesn't work for my kids, doesn't feel right to me to shame them and criticize them and, you know, hurt them emotionally and physically. It doesn't work. It doesn't feel good. So we have to give everyone here listening credit for wanting something different and for putting their hand up and saying, no, I can, this has got to be done differently because I don't want my kids to experience what I experienced. That's right. Be the change you want to see. I love it. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating over iTunes. If something I've said today has sparked your interest, I'd love to further the conversation. So please connect with me at www.parentingforconnection.com or on social media, which is linked in the show notes. Now back to the show. Okay, so let's change gears a little bit. We are heading into a new school year and that can bring all sorts of different transitions 
my my kids are are no different. My oldest just went to um, high school last year. Huge transition. Um, so this can look like a new classroom. It can look like school starting. It can look like a new daycare, etc. You talk a lot about this in your blog and in your new book about this artful introduction between child and his teacher or new caregiver. So explain what this is and what it can look like as well as the benefits for a child who's transitioning into a new routine. I think a lot of parents want to hear about that. Yeah. So transitions are tricky because we are, by design, creatures of habit. We like for things to plot along and be consistent and have some expectations about how it's all going to go. We don't um, tend to respond terribly well to all sorts of surprise or change in routine. And so transitions often deplete us. And especially when you're a little child whose brain by definition is as yet immature, that's really, really um, difficult. And if you're a very sensitive child, it can be downright overwhelming. And so the, the idea behind artful introductions is to really land on the basic uh, principle that we are a social species by design, which means that we are meant to exist in relationship, in connection, in deep attachment with one another. And our children come into the world and the first thing that they do when they get their little eyes open is they blearily stare around the room trying to find your eyes. And when they do, they'll lock that gaze with you. It's like they've landed and they know that you're their best bet. And so they're putting all of their energy into you. And so you are their special, safe, big person. And the attachment relationship that thus develops and deepens and forms between you is the relationship that's going to allow them to grow exactly in the way that nature intended. When we're transitioning our children into the care of another, in a daycare, in a classroom, whatever the case might be, um, understand that children are meant to resist the influence of others to whom they are not deeply attached and to have on some level, this experience of shyness or a little bit of like, um, they don't really want it, right? And we often um, think, oh, kids are so great if they're precocious and outgoing and they're not shy. But the truth is you want your children to have that reaction. You want them to be like, hmm, you're not actually one of my safe, special, big people because you don't want your kids doing the bidding of strangers. And so the Artful Introductions is all about having you as their special big person be the gateway through which the child develops the deeper connection with their new caregiver, be it in a daycare, in a classroom, etc. And so things like you might... Um, you might tell the teacher and then the child separately little stories about each other. Oh, so-and-so came home from school yesterday. I just thought you should know. He thinks you're like the funniest teacher he has ever had. He's so thrilled to be in your class. Even if you've embellished it a little, then the teacher's like, oh, because we tend to like people who like us, right? And so you have these stories going uh, back and forth. When my youngest son started preschool, I took photos of him with his teacher. And then I put them on the fridge and I would say things like, look at the sparkle in her eye. She is so happy to have you in her classroom. You know, those kinds of things. So you're just building that. I also really encourage parents to have their children see them interacting in really friendly kinds of ways with the caregiver or the teacher so that the child's like, okay, cool. So my parent has invited this person into our circle. So now I know it's okay to uh, be in the circle with 
this um, new big person in my life as well. And so these are the ways that you can land on artfully introducing your children to new big people and um, broadening the circle. I think that's going to help so many people with the school year upon us and coming up. Uh, wow. You know, what I think that really helps with is so many parents get so frustrated and confused about separation anxiety and you literally have the steps to lessen that and also make it okay. Normalize it. Like, look, this is what you want your child to display, right? Yeah. So that's so refreshing. That is awesome. Really good. Just in case you have a parent listening who's like, oh, snap, my kid doesn't have any separation anxiety. <laughs> also, don't feel like you're being made wrong for that. There's, there's a continuum of temperament, personality, those kinds of things. And kids who are a little more easygoing and that kind of thing, they're not necessarily going to have separation anxiety, but you will see them kind of just checking in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there'll be a sense of um, separation from you and that they'll be kind of alerted to that to a greater or lesser extent. Right. Yeah. And thank you for saying that because um, I'm sure there are people that, that are like that. I have two kids and they're completely different. One couldn't wait to get rid of me. The other one <laughs> didn't want me to leave. So I've experienced both. <laughs> and I think That's you know, right. the overarching message here is whatever you do, you do it with swagger, right? Like, yeah, look at how, look at how awesome right. your teacher loves you, right? She thinks you're great. I know you're great. You know, all that stuff. So I love it. I love it. Okay. So Let's talk about toddlerhood and preschool years. Parents, I know, express frustration when their kids do behaviors that they're not expecting, like violent behaviors, kicking, hitting, biting. What advice do you have for those parents? That is a question I get a lot. What, what do you say to that? Yeah, so the first thing to know is that there's going to be two layers in here of sort of um, investigation or exploration for you as a parent. And if you find when your child is having the mother of all meltdowns uh, in the middle of the grocery store lineup or on your living room floor or at the doors of the preschool classroom or whatever it is, if you're like, oh, if you feel that you're getting up in your business, that's going to mean if you go back to sort of an earlier part of our conversation that you have become now age regressed. And so you have a two or three year old who's having a fairly typical age appropriate response to something that's overwhelmed them. And if you as a parent are triggered by that, you will become age regressed, which means that at, you'll be a two or three or four year old who's trying to parent a kid who's two or three and having a big meltdown, right? And so yeah. Oftentimes, the thing uh, that triggers parents is we think others are judging us. We worry we're doing it wrong. We go to fear, like you mentioned, Robin, where we're like, oh my gosh, my kid's going to be like this violent maniac when they're 16 if I don't get this under control now. And so we have all of these um, back of mind narratives running the show when really what we need to do is take a breath and remember that this moment is perfect. There is nothing but this moment and to be here now, that this is happening for us, that we get another chance to grow ourselves, not happening to us, and our job is not to answer to the world around us, but rather to be very present and available to the child who's depending on us, whose very existence is depending on us getting this right. 
And if you can really, as a parent, make sense of, well, two-year-olds are going to do those things because their prefrontal cortex is years away from being maturely developed. So they can't actually hang on to their big feelings and emotions. And it may not even be that that exact moment set them off, but rather sort of a buildup of moments. Or maybe, you know, you just talked about it's a new school year and we're going to have lots of kids transitioning into classrooms and daycares and new environments. And they're going to develop a bad case of the Septembers, mm, which yeah. is going to mean they're going to have a meltdown at the grocery store next Thursday and you're not going to have seen it coming. Um, so always just to trust when your child is engaged in these challenging behaviors, you don't need to know exactly the reason why, but just trust that they're not doing it to make you mental. Yes. Yes. They're, thank you. They're, it's, they're doing it because they have to. They have no other choice in that moment. They've done what um, we often refer to as flipping their lid. And so in the brain, they've gone all downstairs or down into that survival reactive place in the brain. And um, the lid has flipped. And the lid is the cortical or upper layers of the brain where rational thought and problem solving are housed. And so when you flip your lid, you don't have rational thought. You can't problem solve anything. And by the way, they're two or three and they don't have a prefrontal cortex. Like that's years away. And so they got nothing. All they got is you. Right. And the human brain is the only part of us that's 100% co-regulated from the outside. So your kid is looking to you to set the tone for how you're going to regulate them back into a space of being calm and settled. And if you're busy flipping your own lid, which we've all done, no shame in it, we've all done it, then that does not help the situation. You got to yeah. go in there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your words and say, hey, baby, I know you're upset right now. I know you need to just release these feelings right now and that's okay. I'm right here for you. Right. Yeah. Is there a better way? To big yells and shouts than you, you let them out. Yeah. Mama yeah. yeah. I know you need worry. to and scream. It's okay, baby. And that's not, yeah. uh, that's not being permissive. That's just acknowledging that, that your child has emotions that they can't deal with, that they can't understand and they have no other way to let them out other than with a meltdown. And aren't we lucky that that's what they have, that they have right. something? Because yeah. think about the world of giants that your kids live in. You talk about big people all the time. Well, imagine it from their point of view, right? And mm -hmm. they've got these feelings that they can't even name. They don't know what they are. I mean, it's a tough yeah. go. No wonder two-year-olds are happy one minute and crying the next, right? That's right. It's part of just being a person when you're little, yeah. that you're going to have these big sort of swings emotionally. And we talked before about how important it is to be in the lead, to be the in-charge yeah. parent, to have all sorts of swagger about you. And when a child has flipped their lid, they've by definition lost control of their emotions, of their impulses, of all of those kinds of things. And you as a parent know this, you cannot be in control of a child who's lost control of themselves. And mm -hmm. so if you're standing on the outside of the meltdown saying things like, stop it. How many times have I told you? Why are you still doing this? Blah, 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 blah. You actually just look incompetent in the eyes of your kid. Because they're like, yo, I flew my lid. I don't have a prefrontal cortex. Why are we still talking about this? Right? But if from the outside you look in and you're like, oh, check it. My kid has flipped their lid. And then you just start coming alongside them. You see them. You feel them. You hear them. They're like, oh, okay, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to know that that has nothing to do with you. They just need to release it. 
and it's okay. It's okay. Yes, I, 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 I so appreciate you saying that because it is so good to hear it again and hear it in the way that you frame it because we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to worry about other people. This is here and we have to deal with it and this is part of being a parent. We have to accept it right? And, and, and the more you understand development, which you so artfully explain in the book, age by age, what to expect, what these ages are about, it really just helps you to understand, okay, this is normal. This is temporary. We often get so worried about things that are just temporary. Like, don't worry about it, right? No need for labels. It's just development. It's just development. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Let your kid be a kid. Yeah. No challenge, no growth. Yeah. And, and you talk about brain science. I love brain science when, it t- when we talk about development and just the lower, middle and higher brain. I talk about all the time too, um, because we lose it too. And we no longer have a connection with our rational thought, reasoning, problem solving. So we need to make sure that we, we have that swagger. When yeah. all else fails, get your swagger on, right? That's right. Go to swagger. <laughs> Go to line. swagger. I love it. <laughs> well, look, I want to thank you so much for being with me here today. I know you and I, I could talk for hours and hours. So hours and days. <laughs> yes, I, I hope that you'll come back and join me because you have such a wealth of information and you deliver it in such a beautiful, kind way uh, that I really appreciate. So uh, once again, I, I can't stress how much I love your book. Um, you're funny, you're honest, you're relatable, and you have literally created the book that goes through the first parents, first moments of parenthood through all the different ages and stages, but you don't just talk about it in theory. You're literally talking about feeding, sleeping, toilet training, aggression, siblings, and then of course the transition to childcare, like we just touched on. You cover it all in this book and even more, what a valuable resource you have for all these parents. So please tell me, where do people get your book? Yeah, so the book is available anywhere that books are sold. Uh, Maybe the easiest place is to go online to Amazon. Pre-orders have uh, been available for a while now, and the book officially launches in North America October the 8th. Um, And I cannot wait for it to land in the homes of all the parents in the land. Um, I'm so, so excited for you guys to get to be able to read it. Well, what an honor that we, you, you are here to guide us through these moments. We need it. We need these voices of caring and compassion for our kids so that we could grow these amazing human beings who That's are going to lead our countries, who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. They deserve it. So thank you again. And we have a little something that we're going to include in the show notes, um, something special from you. So can you, tell, um, can you tell the listeners what we have for them? Yeah, so what I wanted to include uh, for you was a list of um, six of the most important things that I think parents can hang on to in terms of principles that will guide you through parenting right from the start. Beautiful. I love it. So thank you for that. You'll see those all in the show notes, all of the links to... Dr. Vanessa's work and and how you know more of her articles, how you can get her book, all of that are in the show notes. So again, Dr. Vanessa, thank you for being in my life. Thank you for being on my podcast and for shining your light on so many parents. You are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've loved every minute of it. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. 
I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my podcast, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who wish to get in contact with me directly, all my details are on my website, www.parentingforconnection.com. And of course, I have all my details in the show notes. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection. Thank you.